Thanks, Matt. It's amazing work. It's amazing work that the Lord's Ladder does. And um, I don't know how many of you um, have the privilege of being down here through the week, but um, but when you see the work um, that is being done, when you see um, the people that are being impacted, that are being being supported, when you see the people that are uh, involved, all the different agencies coming up to get parcels for their um, for their clients, it's um, it's a real blessing um, to our community, and it's a real it's really exciting just to be part of it, just to have that project. Um, hosted here, part of us here, um, and I would encourage you to to get involved however you can. Um, so, this morning, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you might have noticed that um, rather than having a set series, um, we're kind of jumping around, we're talking about a few different things. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about power. Um, this week, um, we're talking, um, I want to talk to you about a story in the Bible, um, someone um, came to me a couple of weeks ago and said, I've just got these, um, this story and I've got these thoughts about it. I think it's something God's trying to say to us at the moment. And, um, and, I, um, and I agree, I think it is something that God's trying to say to us at the moment. So let's see if we can get our um, PowerPoint up. Um, and this, the title this week is Cloaks, Rivers and Choosing More, um, which should be fairly self-explanatory. So... Hopefully you all understand where I'm going. You're all sat there with this sort of sage nod going, oh yes, this story. I know this one. Um, this story is from 2 Kings, um, chapter 2. Um, and it's a story of Elijah and Elisha. I don't know how confusing that is for us. I know because they, they sound very similar. I don't know if they look very similar. Um, but Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah was this... Um, was the prophet of Israel. He was um, very well known. He was a real man of God, brought immense words of wisdom and challenge to the nation. And it came to this point when it was time for Elijah to, well, not to die, because that's not how this plays out, um, but it was time for him to, to leave, to go to be with God. And um, this story... Um, tells us of that. And it says, starting in verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. 
The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken up from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. It's quite an interesting story, isn't it? It's got a certain rhythm to it. Um, and we see this story where Elijah is very aware that he's, he's heading off on this journey and he's going to come to a place where God will take him up to heaven, which is strange in itself. And Elisha's going with him because Elisha is kind of his student, his understudy, his disciple. And as he's going, Elijah says to Elisha, you stay here, because they're in Gilgal. You stay here. God's telling me to go to Bethel. Now, Gilgal is um, quite a strategic place, quite an important place in the Bible. I think it's referenced something like 59 times. Um, But the story that's most famous around Gilgal is as the Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they were coming in to take the promised land just before they went to fight the battle of Jericho. God called them together at Gilgal and told them to recommit themselves, to re-consecrate themselves. They had to circumcise all the people because if you remember, well you may remember, you may not remember, but when the Israelites were originally supposed to go to the Promised Land, they were, they were all supposed to go fairly quickly into the Promised Land, and then they, they became afraid, and they decided to, to not face the battles because they were scared. And God at that time said, none of you are going to make it in, but your children will make it in. So 40 years on, that generation have died. But their children now have come to this point. And he says, in the same way you're parents were circumcised, you now need to be committed to me. This is a re-consecration, a recommitting, a coming to me and being committed to me. So this moment of reconsecration, of coming before God and saying, we are your people and you are our God, happened at Gilgal. And then what they did is they went and each tribe, each of the 12, 12 tribes went and got a stone, a large stone, and they put them in a circle, a little bit like Stonehenge. And actually what you find and what, um, what has been found in various places actually around, um, the, um, around the, that area, um, the area of Israel, 
are historic sites where there were collections of stones, circles of stones, and they all became known as Gilgals. So this place where there is this reconsecration, this recommitting, a beautiful place, a moment of history, a moment in time, a, a place of real significance and real depth. And, and Elijah says to Elijah, you stay here. Elijah says, no, I'm not staying here. I'm coming with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. So they move on to Bethel. And Bethel's significant. Bethel is, again, mentioned quite a number of places, a few dozen times in, in Scripture. And what happened, again, the most famous story of Bethel is as, as Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright and then run away like the coward that he is, he, he fled his homeland and he fled the area of, of Israel, even though it wasn't Israel at that point. And he came to this place and he crossed the river and he came to this place and he lay down and he slept and he had this dream where he encountered God and there was this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up and he goes, surely God was here. And I didn't even know it. This place of intimacy, this place of access, this thin place between heaven and earth where God is accessible. And again, there are other stories where it became about this place of worship. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was stored during the reign of um, Israel. It's where... Um, so it's this, real, it's this real place, there's other stories too, it's this real place of worship and intimacy and connection with God. And Elisha says, you stay here. I've got to go on to Jericho. And he goes, no, no, wherever you go, I'm coming with you. So he moves on to Jericho. And Jericho is obviously significant because Jericho was the famous battle as they were entering the promised land. This was the place they'd been too afraid to tackle 40 years earlier, and this time they come to Jericho, and it's this great place of victory. This is where they, they didn't even fight a battle. They just marched around the walls for seven days, and then on the seventh day they marched around seven times, and then the walls fell down. This moment of great victory given by God, this moment of where they overcame their fears, this moment of triumph, this moment of miracle, this great moment in the history of Israel. And Elijah says, Elisha, you stay here, but God's telling me to go to the Jordan. And Elisha goes, no, no, I'm coming wherever you go. And so they head down to the Jordan. Again, a really momentous place. This is as they were entering into the promised land, as they were preparing for the battle, Moses held out his staff over the river, and the river parted. It's part of their history. This was the, kind of the top and tailing of their time in the wilderness because the Red Sea had parted at the beginning as Moses held his staff over, and at the end, he held his staff over the Jordan, and the, and the, and the river parts. Again, a great moment in history, a great moment of real significance, of breakthrough, of crossing to the other side, of stepping into the fullness of what God has for you. And it's at this place where God chooses symbolically to go, I'm going to take Elijah up here, crossing into the other side. But Elijah, before this happens, says to Elisha, what can I give you? What can I do for you before I go? Elisha says, I want a double portion of your blessing. I want a double portion of your anointing. Because you see, he has persevered and he has pushed because he wants more. He wants as much blessing and as much anointing, 
has, he can have. He sees something so beautiful and profound, Christ-like, God-like in Elijah. And he's saying, I want the relationship with God that you have. I want to be able to do the things that you do, but I want to be able to do even greater things than you have done. I want a double blessing, which might ring some bells about a conversation the disciples had with Jesus, where Jesus said, you can too do all the things that I've done, and you will do even greater things than I have done. That blessing, that anointing came through the Holy Spirit. And so here we see Elijah and Elisha having this conversation. Elijah says, okay, that's difficult. But if you stay focused, if you keep watch, if you keep your eyes fixed, when the chariots come for me, if you see it, then you will receive the blessing. But if you miss it, then you won't. Now, I don't know how easy it is to miss chariots and horses of fire coming sweeping down between the two of you. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't a big ask, but there was this clear instruction to kind of go, you, keep focus, keep watch, don't be distracted, keep your eyes set, and then you will receive the blessing. And that's what happened. And then we see this beautiful moment. Because Elijah is whisked up and Elisha cries out saying, oh, the horses and chariots of Israel. And, and then Elijah is gone. And Elisha's response is to rip up his cloak and to put on Elijah's cloak. Because a cloak was about your identity. Your cloak said something about who you were, the authority that you carried, the status, your, your name as well. It said a lot about you. And he has ripped up his own cloak and put on the cloak, the mantle of Elijah. And then he tests it because he walks up to the Jordan and goes, okay, so where is this God of Elijah? Holds the cloak out over the river and the river parts. It's not for anything significant, but I do love. In the Hebrew, that whole like parted to the right and to the left. King James, it says, hither and thither. And it's just henna, henna. That's, that's actually what the, what the Hebrew is. Henna, henna. Like this way, that way. Henna, henna. Like it's this beautiful sort of colloquialism and you kind of just hear it. And I just quite liked it when I saw it. But anyway, it's a whole different thing. Um, but hither and thither, this way and that way, to the right and to the left. However you translate it, that's where it, that's where it comes from. That's what's going on um, in the Hebrew. So why, why is this story important? Why is this story something that maybe we feel is for now, for us as a church, that God is saying to us at this moment, what is going on here? And I think the significance for us is in our wherever we are as individuals, but I also think there's significance here for us as a church. Because you see, none of these places were bad places to stop. Gilgal is about consecration, new beginnings. Coming back to God and, or coming to God for the first time, encountering God for the first time and making this covenant. For us, we might look at our, our day of conversion to Christianity, the day when we 
surrendered to Christ, the day when we gave our lives and said, I'm all in for you, whatever it is you want me to do, God, that's what I'm going to do. It might be that moment. Or it might be that you became a Christian at some point in your life, whether it's young or whatever age, and then it all didn't kind of go great. And you kind of drifted away, but then you had this moment and you encountered God and you had this, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, I'm committing back, I'm with you. I remember this is, this is what I remember. This is the God, I'm going to re-consecrate myself to you. I'm going to recommit myself to you. This, I will be your disciple. You will be my God. You might have that moment, that memory. That's a great place, isn't it? Great memories, great moments, and, and the power that can come from that, and the, and the life and the love that can come from that, really transformational moments. It might be a, a real moment of healing. It's a great place, that moment of consecration, that moment of encounter with God is a great place. But so is Bethel, this place of worship. Intimacy, this thin place where we can encounter God. It might be that for you, again, there was a moment, or maybe it's just worship is your thing. You love to sing and to worship and to encounter Jesus. You feel this deep connection with your creator. You feel this deep connection with your savior. You feel this thin place where you can access God. And you feel alive and you feel safe and you feel known and you feel loved it's a beautiful place to be or Jericho that place of victory where you've overcome something where God has done something profound some miracle in your life that you never thought would happen where you've overcome some fear where God there's this thing that you've never thought you'd be able to overcome and then God has given you the victory God has helped you overcome you have seen something happen that you did never believe could happen and that's a great place to be, that moment of victory. These are all good places. And Elijah's saying to Elisha, stay here. There's blessing here. This is a great place for you to be. But Elisha says, no, no, no I'm not stopping here. I want more. I want more. God has more for me than this. And the problem is, we see this pattern in the Bible where they, people would have, throughout the Old Testament, people would have this encounter with God and then they would build a, an altar, they would build a, they would put stones up, they would, they would consecrate the place, they would mark the place. It's not a bad thing to do, it's a good thing to do, to remember, to have those points in our life that we look back to, that we hold on to. If everything else seems crazy, I can look back to that because I know that was God. These are good moments to have and to remember and to be able to go back to, to remind ourselves who we are and who Christ is in us, to, to remind ourselves of our story. But we should not stay there. If our story is still the same story, that we were telling 10 years ago. It's time to tell a new story. You know, one of the things that's really interesting happened with Gilgal, but it particularly happened with Bethel. Bethel, this place of intimacy, this thin place with God, this place where Jacob encountered God, other people encountered God, where the Ark of the Covenant rested and resided. This place, by the time we get to Elijah and Elisha, 
is known as a place of idolatry. You see, even the beautiful places, even the places of real connection and intimacy, even the good things, if we stay there, can become idols. If we stay there, they can become idols. These things that brought life and hope, these moments, they can end up, if we don't move on, if we decide to set up camp there and never move on, they become things that trap us and restrict us and restrain us. If we stay there, they can become idols. Worship can become an idol. Worship is a beautiful thing. But if all our encounter comes with God only when we sing, we're missing out on so much of our life. Victories, moments of great healing are incredible things and stories that should be told. But if we stay there, we just become defined by it rather than being defined by Christ. We can become Christians, we can have great moments of recognition, of salvation, of transformation. But we're supposed to move on. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to mature. We're supposed to, in our path of discipleship, grow. And in the same way that Elijah says, I'm not going to stay here because I want more. There's a challenge for us to not settle, to not stay, but to want more. And that's true for us as individuals, and that's true for us as a church. I want to talk about us as individuals first. And Joe, do you want to come up? Where is Joe? Have we lost Joe. He's scarped us. He's probably having a sleep. Do you know he was a, he was in uh, where was he Oxford yesterday leading a conference out there, and then he was here with the youth overnight, sleeping overnight with the youth for their sleepover, and then he's up this morning doing worship. And anyway, so he's probably sleeping somewhere. Anyway, we'll find him. But um, and I don't blame him. So, um, but as individuals. This is important for us because I feel like maybe some of us have got stuck. Our passion about worship maybe just leaves us being a bit stuck because that's all that's the, then becomes the only thing way the or the main way that we just encounter God and then but we're not actually developing, growing, moving on into more. We have a phenomenal salvation story which is beautiful and should be told. But our stories should carry on to develop too. Our discipleship should deepen. It should make more and more sense. And if we just end up being stuck, we, we get stuck, we don't grow, we don't disciple. And it might be that for some of us, we need a moment of reconsecration this morning. Recommitment. A, I'm not going to settle here, God. I'm not going to settle here because I want more. One of the fascinating things about 
this, when Elijah rips up his cloak and puts on the cloak of Elijah, it reminds me of some of the language that Paul talks about in the New Testament. In Romans 13, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, whatever other commands there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. And maybe a few of us have dozed off a little. Maybe a few of us have been quite busy and we're rushing and we're rushing and we're rushing and we're rushing. And we just dozed off to what God's doing in us or through us or wants to do in us and through us. We've just dozed off to who God can be and who God's calling us to be. So the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Elsewhere, he talks about, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I have died to self. I have put on Christ. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this is the imagery that we see. This is the imagery that we see. When Elijah rips up his own cloak, his own identity, his own story even, and says, I'm going to put on this cloak of Elijah. I'm going to step into this new identity. And are we this morning prepared to throw off ourselves and put on Christ, to clothe ourselves in Christ? Maybe we've stopped in good places. They're not bad places. Place of consecration, a place of new beginnings, a place of meetings, encountering God. It might be that a place of worship and intimacy, and it's amazing, but it never goes anywhere. Because we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to flow out. We're filled with the Spirit so the Spirit can pour out from us, not just so we can be filled and have that warm, fuzzy feeling as often as we like. It's for a purpose. It goes somewhere. It might be that we've had this great victory in our lives, but we got stuck. Are we prepared to throw off ourselves and to clothe ourselves in Christ? And what I want to do is I want us to respond to that now. And then we'll carry on and we'll talk about what it means for us as a church because that's important too. But right now, I want us to, t I want us to respond to that. So, if that's something where you kind of go, oh, maybe I have got stuck, maybe I do need to reconsecrate, maybe I do need to throw off just the stuff, the myself, the habits I've got into, the attitudes I've got into, maybe I've fallen asleep and I want to commit again. 
I want to go again. I want to push on again. I want to clothe myself in Christ this morning. And if that's you this morning, I'd love you to stand where you are. Lord, forgive us where we've got stuck, got distracted, or we've settled. Or we've allowed ourselves to get in the way of who you've called us to be. Lord, this morning we want to throw off all the things that inhibit us and slow us down and bind us up. And we want to run afresh. We want to clothe ourselves in Christ. We want to be people who wear this mantle that you have given us, this identity, this status as children of God, who live in the fullness of who you've called us to be. Marion, do you want to come up? And Marion came to me just before I came up here. And uh, I was like, I think I've got this picture that I'd love to share. And God tells me it kind of resonates maybe with what you're about to say, um, which it does. So, um, Marion, why don't you share that? Okay. Um, This is actually from a book I've been reading called uh, Surrender to the Spirit. One day in a vision, I saw the Lord upon the throne, and he was looking to and fro all over the earth. Someone would get his attention, and the Lord would smile. It brought pleasure to him to see these people. As he smiled, he reached back, tore off a piece of the mantle, dropped oil on the torn piece, and released it. I saw hundreds of mantles released this way. They alighted on people. They rested on them but then absorbed right into the person. That person then became an expression of that facet of Christ upon the earth. They didn't have the mantle on them. They became the expression of the mantle. Several months ago, I had another similar prophetic encounter when I saw in a vision the Lord standing with the most beautiful mantle I've ever seen. It was so alive, like flowing water, The essence of the beauty of the mantle was not the colour or such, but how living and refreshing the mantle looked. It is almost impossible to put into words. The closest I can come to describing it is that it looked like living water. Um, Sorry. It looked like living water in the form of a cloth that draped across the Lord's outstretched arms. The Lord said, I'm loosing my people. They will become who they are. That picture really resonates, doesn't it, of God giving us a mantle 
but not just for us to carry it, but so that we, we become that. It's not just a thing that we've added to our, that we've accumulated, that we've collected, but it's something that we become. Why don't we all stand? Why don't we all stand? And why don't we sing our declaration that we wanna we wanna be woken, we wanna be stirred, we wanna be um, we wanna step into, we wanna push on into who God has called us to be. We don't wanna get stuck. We don't wanna become numb or or tired. Let's invite the Spirit to awaken us.